advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have with me once again, probably for the third or fourth time, Adrian Salbucci. Uh, Adrian has been, as I say, with us several times, so I don't want to waste a lot of time reading his bio. His bio is listed along with uh, with all our guests at uh, Voice America uh, Voice America Business uh, Channel website, and our particular website. You can go there. Adrian, as I said, is uh, an economist. He's a writer, prolific writer. He speaks out on issues of liberty, uh, and he is uh, very, very well-versed on a lot of the things that are going on around the world uh, geopolitically. So welcome, uh, Adrian. Welcome again to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Hello, Jay. Great to be on your show again. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Uh, you're down in uh, Buenos Aires now, and it's really, uh, really, really helpful to have modern technology can link us up around the world. Um, I, I, um, I want to ask you, uh, you heard the discussion that I just had with Vincent Bugliosi. Bugliosi. I always butcher his name. Um, what are your thoughts? I mean, is this uh, surprising to you? Well, it, 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 I found it to be a really, really fascinating interview. Uh, no, it's not really surprising, and I think most of your listeners will agree with that. And it's very good to see somebody with the prestige of Mr. Bugliosi actually uh, uh, adventuring to do this, to actually go and, and, and see how he can file a, a, a legal lawsuit against George W. Bush. What I would add uh, to that, and, and I think it's, it's, it's very important, especially since the anniversary is just a few days away, and it's such a sad day, although I'm speaking from one I was brought up in New York, and uh, there were people whom I knew who uh, regrettably never got out of the World Trade Center on that fateful Tuesday, 11 September 2001. But, uh, you know, it's very important, I think, for just for your listeners and for anybody to see in the correct perspective Mr. Uh, Bugliosi's words, is the fact that we have to see the framework within which all of this actually happened. George Bush was probably just a spokesman, shall we say, a very high-profile spokesman at that, of a, of a much wider and a much uh, greater planning scheme, so to speak. For instance, back in 1997, when, when George W. wasn't even president, it was still the Bill Clinton times, uh, a think tank called the Project for a New American Century was set up, which included amongst its members George W. Bush, who at the time was just uh, the governor of uh, Texas, and it included a whole host of people, some of which would come on the George W. Bush government uh, starting in 2001, like uh, Richard Cheney, uh, people like Douglas Feith, people like 
like um, uh, Wolfowitz, uh, people like Colin Powell, people like John Negro Ponte, John Bolton, and a whole host of others, and other people who were not on the Bush government, but who definitely had a very clear vested interest to promote American intervention in the Middle East, notably in Iraq. As a matter of fact, the project for a new American century had almost as its central objective going into Iraq, going into and, and finishing up what George Bush Sr. apparently was unable to do so during the first Gulf War back in the in, in the early 90s. So what uh, what the Bush government did, or I should say the Bush-Cheney government did, because the real thinking gray matter there, I think, was Dick Cheney far more than George W. Bush, poor guy. He couldn't even muster two words together at times, even in public, is the fact that this was uh, the main objective. And 9-11, the dreadful decade, 10-year uh, anniversary of which is, is, is coming, is almost upon us, was merely the triggering, the, uh, shall we say, the, 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 the excuse to do what was later done first in Afghanistan in October 2001, and much worse in March 2003 against Iraq. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, it really is interesting. It seems to me we, we've got to go to our first break, and when we come back, we've got so much more to talk about. Uh, but it seems to me that when we're talking about the allegations that Mr. Bugliosi made about uh, the contriving to go to war uh, with Saddam because of uh, the fear of being able to find weapons of mass destruction, he needed an excuse to go to war. So if you could get, uh, you know, tickle him, Mr. Saddam under the chin and get him to strike back, uh, then we could go to war. It sounds familiar with some of the theories that have been out there about how we got ourselves into World War II and World War I. So after we come back from the break, I'd like to pick up on that theme, if we could, uh, perhaps, and, and, just, uh, and just focus on, on some of those allegations and, and take it from there. So, folks, don't go away. We're going to go to our commercial break. We'll be right back with Adrian Salbucci uh, to talk about uh, these very important geopolitical issues uh, that uh, that really have so much to do with our lives, even though it doesn't see, they don't seem to be that closely connected, perhaps. But we need to understand that they are. We're going to come right back with Adrian Salbucci uh, after the break. Don't go away. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Merrick's Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrick's and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrick's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Romeo's Gold offers unprecedented opportunities in the final frontier of British Columbia's Golden Triangle, a copper gold rich region with improving infrastructure. Romeo's properties are located in the vicinity of multi billion dollar deposits. With its $6 million plus drilling program underway, Romeo's Gold is focused on developing world class mineral resources in a major upcoming mining district. 
Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at w www.rypatchgold.com Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business Welcome to the human race Some kind of love and ride I'll be sliding down You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Again, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making this the number one show on the Voice America business channel. And, of course, I want to thank our sponsors for making this show uh, financially viable. The sponsors for our second hour are Merrick's Gold, Visible Gold Mines, Lucky Strike Resources, Rypatch Gold Corp., and Romeo's Gold Resources. Well, we're back here with Adrian uh, Salbucci. Adrian, before the break, we, uh, you know, I just mentioned, and one of the things that really hit me from uh, Bugliosi's uh, discussion was this whole notion of Bush strategizing or allegedly strategizing to provoke Saddam from striking out at us so we could go to war with him. Uh, but, you know, from a historical perspective, this is, um, at least according to some accounts of history, this is not necessarily a new thing. In fact, uh, some people believe that we were, uh, that we induced ourselves to get into both the world wars, number, uh, World War I and World War II. Would you care to talk to our listeners a little bit about that? 
Well, yes, yeah, sure. Uh, as we were saying before the break, <clears throat> the historical perspective to understand things like uh, what's happened in America now and what's been happening over the past years is so important uh, when you consider something uh, which most people don't know about. For example, that the project for a new American century, which included your Kissingers and your Donald Rumsfelds and your Bushes and your Colin Powells and your Stephen Forbes even and Richard Perleys, was it, it was set up in 1997. And it was, if you read it, if you read their, their uh, main uh, document, it's basically a blueprint of the George W. Bush, Richard Cheney government. So you say, okay, there is like a, 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 a pattern throughout history. When you go further back, you start off, for example, and there's a, there's a very interesting article that came out in the Guardian newspaper only yesterday, actually, which says, well, they've, some deep-sea divers have actually found the hull of the passenger ship Lusitania that was sunk off the coast of Ireland in 1915. And to make a long story short, it was the cause, the reason why the United States went into the, into the First World War to begin with, even though it took a couple of months to do that, and they only did so in 1917. The uh, excuse was that, oh, X, something like 1,200 American lives were, were lost. However, the Germans had said that passenger ship is being used by the Woodrow Wilson government to send arms to the British. Well, now that they've actually reached the hull under the sea, an American businessman by the name of Greg Bemis has done this and financed this, they've found something like four million rounds of, uh, of uh, uh, bullets and, and projectiles. They found significant amount of high explosives in the hull which seems to, uh, shells, powder, gun, cotton, and so forth, which seems to explain why there was such a massive explosion and the Lusitania sank in just 18 minutes. You move forward and there's a lot of documentation that has come up in recent years regarding that Franklin Delano Roosevelt knew in 1941 that the Japanese were going to attack Pearl Harbor, and yet again, it was so dramatic, it was used with such high media profile that it brought America into the Second World War in 1941. Then you have the Gulf of Tonkin incident of 19 where a North Vietnamese uh, ship allegedly attacked the USS Maddox, and yet Henry Kissinger, a couple of years back, admitted that that event, that, uh, uh, event never even took place. You have mm. the 1967 event with the USS Liberty, where uh, Israeli airplanes bombed it, and, and actually there was dreadful loss of American sailors' lives to see if they, if they could get America into war against Egypt. And you, you, you go on and you see that there is, uh, time and again, there seems to be a power struggle embedded within the public and private power structure of the United States of America that seems to be fully outside the control of the White House, Congress, or the Justice Department. Who these people are, well, we can, we can speculate a lot, but probably these are the so-called false flag attacks where uh, an insider attack is carried out, made to look like somebody else did it, and that would be a cause for war, which is what George Bush wanted to do in the case of Iraq. But if you look at 9-11, which is probably the most horrendous uh, attack uh, ever, that ever took place in the United States, well, clearly there are so many unexplainables in there. There are so many factors that just cannot be done away with that you can only conclude that it, too, was a false flag attack. And normally false flag attacks can be easily identified by just asking one simple question, who benefits? 9-11, certainly the Muslim world did not benefit. Certainly none of the countries in the Middle East uh, who, who are fighting against Israel benefited. The main beneficiaries was the power structure around the so-called neocons that used 9-11 first to invade Afghanistan, and then they really blew it because they used it to invade Iraq. And, well, it, as time goes on, that uh, uh, equation just doesn't close. Hmm. 
Well, certainly one idea that I've heard expressed, and Richard Mayberry, who will actually be on our show next week, has has talked about this. Uh, while I think he'd be quick to agree with you that the uh, that the Islamic world didn't benefit directly from a war, uh, you know, from from hitting us uh, on 9/11. Uh, one of the points that Mayberry uh, makes is that they have succeeded in sucking us into probably two wars and bleeding us to death economically. His view is that they're willing to do it that way. That that in fact we're being suckered in, uh, and that we are bleeding economically, and that these wars are going to cause us to uh, uh, to, to ultimately, you know, fall from within. Uh, well, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, sorry to interrupt there. I think one of the things that we all need to do, when I say all, I mean each and every one of us in America, outside America, is that we have to make a quantum leap in our paradigms. We are still thinking in 20th century terms, but we are now in the 21st century. What do I mean by this? As I was just trying to express a few moments ago, there is a very powerful structure, power structure, embedded within the United States, which is definitely not elected by anybody, and they prefer not to give their names, although we can, we can infer who they are. And we have to understand that they do not have the American national interest in mind. Maybe they don't have the national interest of any country in mind, mm -hmm. because being globalists, they are working to usher in a global government, so they probably couldn't give a damn about any specific national uh, uh, nation or country. And it seems that to understand what 9-11 was all about, what the war in Iraq and the war in Afghanistan and now the war in Libya are all about, is that we have to see that that global power structure trying to usher in world government is working from inside the United States, from inside Britain, and from inside the European Union, just to, just to uh, cite the three main uh, 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 national power structures. However, they do not have their national interests in mind, and you can even infer that probably part of their plan is the demise of the United States as a global superpower, just as the Soviet Union had to go to the wastebasket of, of history. It doesn't mean that, these, that, that the Russia disappeared or the Ukraine disappeared, but but certainly that all-powerful Soviet empire ceased to be what it was, and it became a series of much smaller entities. That, I would say, is probably the future of America in all these crises, all these complex wars where America seems to shoot itself in the foot, and all this massive, huge debt that is causing so much economic, financial, and social turmoil might seem to point to the fact that this is all part of a long-term plan to even get rid of the United States as a national Sovereign national, uh, as a sovereign nation state, to usher in or at least to open the way to world government. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that you have been careful in the past not to allege conspiracy. I think what you have said, and uh, Daniel Esterlin has been on the show, and you guys were on actually together, and I think both of you have said that it's it's less of a conspiracy than it is just very rich and powerful people, you know, looking out for their own interests. So here's here's a theory I'd like to run by you, and, and this stems from my view of the pathology of fiat money as opposed to gold. Uh, you have a fiat-based money system, which we have now, and the whole world has. In fact, the IMF makes it illegal for countries to use gold as money or silver as money. You have to use paper money. But uh, in the, with a fiat money system, you have 
It's a liability-based system. That is, as you take out a loan and create debt, you increase the money supply. And bankers, without any gold attached to that, there's no limit to the amount of this kind of money that can be created out of thin air. Or bankers can create their inventory, if you will, with keystrokes of a computer, which is being done, uh, and as uh, Ed Griffin has said, in a monopolistic banking system that we have. So the, we've seen what's happened here in the United States tremendous amounts of debt have been taken out to the point where consumers can't borrow anymore they can't banks won't lend to them anymore because they don't have the wherewithal to pay them back uh and and you've saturated the economy with so much debt the housing bubble before that the tech bubble all kinds of bubbles to the point where you become insolvent in essence as an economy so here's the theory in order to keep the balloon in the air, uh, you have to then go out with your military and take in new markets. You have to go out, you know, military or through whatever means. I mean, John Perkins was on this show talking about how the IMF, the World Bank, and other organizations go out basically and uh, entice third world dictators to take on debt to build infrastructure projects then you get them in debt so badly they can't pay you back and they have to sell their raw materials to you that was the policy that was followed after world war ii according to john perkins first tried in iran when uh... when when uh, the iranian uh, de democracy decided that they didn't want to let england have their oil anymore and they shut off shut off uh... uh... the flow of petroleum and and we sent our cia in and we determined owned uh, the elected government and put in a dictator named the Shah. So uh, do you think it's possible that maybe, you know, we've got this gigantic machine in motion. It's a, it's, a it's, a, it's a fiat system in which the bankers have been able to reallocate wealth from the people that produce it, the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors, to the bankers and the politicians who control the system. Uh, and that once you do this, it's so pathological. You have malinvestment. You have all this debt that cannot be repaid. So now you have to look for new markets where the people aren't in debt, uh, where there's growth potential, so you're going to third world countries, you're going to various countries to try to build that up. And if the if the politicians won't cooperate with our with the Western world, the Anglo American Empire, then what we do is use force, or we use um, the CIA or some method to get in uh, to get uh, in inside those countries to control their politics. Do you think that's uh, that's maybe what's happening? So it's not necessarily a bunch of really rich guys, a few handful of bankers sitting around conspiring, but everybody's sort of acting in their own interest in one way or another and using their connections in, policy, in politics to do that? Well, I couldn't agree more with you. And uh, yes, uh, human greed is a, one is a very strong motivation. And uh, but I think that above individuals and even individual firms and banks and, and, and organizations looking, you know, greedily looking for their uh, for their profit, which could be understandable. Above all of that, I do believe that there is long term planning, which has specific objectives. Again, the historical perspective does lend us a hand. I'm speaking from Argentina. And what you just described a few moments ago was basically the reasons why we had the last military coup, uh, which was very bloody and was dreadful, back in 1976. 1976 had 
huge amounts of petrodollars and, and the banks didn't know how to where to place them so the bankers came to Argentina to speak to the democratically elected Peron government in 1975 saying hey we want to make loans to you and the government said we don't need loans mm -hmm. six months later there was a military coup backed by the State Department backed by Kissinger backed by all the international bankers that military coup was immediately recognized as the legitimate government of Argentina and that's when huge amounts of basically illegitimate and even illegal debt began and they are it's still crushing us to this very day yeah. what people have to yeah what people have to understand is that this balloon factor as you say is sort of like riding a bicycle you can do anything whilst you ride a bicycle except stop pedaling you have to continue pedaling otherwise you fall off so these guys know that what they need is to revamp once twice ten times roll debts over as a matter of fact and I give this as, a, as an example here in Argentina, the worst thing that a country, for instance, Argentina has a public debt of about 250 billion with the bankers. The worst thing we could ever do to them is to write out a 250 billion dollar check, call them all and say, here's your money, take it back, don't come anymore. Because mm -hmm. we will create for them two problems. First problem is technical. Where would, you know, what, 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 where can they invest 250 billion dollars uh, uh, that we will be giving back to them at usury uh, rates? And the second problem is more of a political problem, a country that is completely under their control, Argentina, would all of a sudden be free because we would have no debt, they would have no reason to control us. So we have to understand, and I call it the Shylock factor from, from The Merchant of Venice by William Shakespeare, where Shylock, the, 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 the old miser, the, the usurer, what did he want? He did not want Antonio the merchant to pay back the money owed to him. What he wanted was his pound of flesh. And he had a contract that said, if you do not pay 3,000 ducats by such and such a date, uh, you will give me a pound of your flesh. The guy didn't want the money back. He wanted the pound of flesh. The same thing in a country like Argentina. They don't want the money back. They want to use that as an excuse to take over our territory, control our laws, control our governments, and so forth. And that's what's happening in America right now, too. And it's also happening the world over. The idea behind a debt-based system is that the debt should grow and grow and grow, and that it should never be payable. Because if you pay it back to them, you generate a problem. They just need to have that as the basic fuel that justifies why governments time and again have to do exactly as they are told because they happen to owe the banking system x zillions of dollars and naturally they can't pay it back and naturally putting in too many taxes and forcing the people to pay them back will mean that people will take to the streets that jobs will be lost and you will have social turmoil on your hands so it is a wonderful mechanism of social and geopolitical control so uh, uh, just to round off we shouldn't think of the financial problem strictly in financial terms sure we see the figures sure we see that america has a, i don't know a federal debt of 14.5 trillion or argentina 250 billion whatever that's just the numbers we have to look behind the scenes and say why why do the banks keep lending money to Argentina if we're so bad at paying it back or to Greece or even to America? Yeah. Basically because they know that that is the way to control governments. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, uh, Adrian, then going back to the Argentinian story that you just told. When the Argentinian government said, we don't want your loans, uh, and six months later there was a coup, uh, is there some evidence that the CIA was involved? 
Oh, well, there is a, a program which is called the Condor Program, which was basically a brainchild of Sir, now Sir Henry Kissinger uh, for, for the overthrow of the democratically elected governments in Chile in 1973, in Argentina in 1976, and also in the countries in our, in, 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 around Argentina and Chile, Paraguay, Bolivia, and, uh, and Uruguay. Uh, definitely, it was all part of a, of a scheme where surprisingly, and I stress surprisingly, the Soviets and the Americans, or, the, or shall, shall I say communism and capitalism, I'm going to just, you know, not, not, not name countries, but communism and capitalism worked so wonderfully well together. Because in order to have an excuse, and think of what uh, Mr. Bugliosi was saying about Bush, about Bush wanting to find an excuse to, 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 to invade Iraq. The excuse that was used to get rid of the democratically elected government in Chile in 1973, which was in the hands of Mr. Pinochet, and of Argentina in 1976, which was in the hands of uh, Mr. and Mrs. Perón, was basically that there was a lot of guerrilla uh, attacks and that the government was not being able to control them. Argentina had massive attacks from left-wing guerrillas, financed from Moscow, financed from Havana, and even financed from Paris. They would put bombs all over the place. One of the first countries that really suffered terrorism firsthand was Argentina. Bombs would go off in military establishments. They would shoot people down the street, and they were all very well-organized communist guerrilla uh, groups. And that gave the perfect excuse for the United States to tell these, uh, these uh, pro-U.S. Um, military men, hey guys, just get rid of the government, you guys take over. And that is when there was severe repression in Argentina because they were given a blank check to just pick up people on the streets, kill them, do whatever they want with them. So in a way it's surprising, and I stress surprising, how communism and capitalism often seem to work together very well as though they were both the two sides of the same coin. Except that I would argue that that kind of behavior is not capitalism, that it is more like fascism. Yes, his government yes, yes. Uh, clearly clearing the way for corporate interest. But, you know, Adrian, I just had to think about an article I read in the Financial Times today, and this has to do with Iceland. You know, the recent financial turmoil that occurred in 2008 started in Iceland. Yes. And there is a prosecution of the uh, Geir Harde, Hardy, I don't know how you pronounce his name, former yeah. prime minister. Former prime minister, yeah. Right. He's being prosecuted for the way he handled the financial crisis, and he refused uh, bailout money from other countries, from the IMF and so forth. Now, do you think that this is a um, this might be some action to try to curb this and to send a message to Greece and other countries not to it, refuse? It's certainly a very bad precedent for the banking system because Geir Harde, the, uh, the prime minister at the time of the 2008 crisis, especially with the uh, bank IceSave, which folded, actually the three main banks folded, and, and they found that if, when those banks fell, the key people that lost it, but that, that, were, that were running into trouble were UK and Dutch, uh, British and Dutch uh, investors, not so much the Icelandics. So what did he do? He made two referendums, and in both cases, the, he asked the people, should we save these banks so that the British and the Dutch don't lose their money, or, sh or should we not do it? And, and the people, the Icelanders said, let them fall, let them fall. If they did all their business wrong, just let them fall. Now, he is no longer the prime minister. Now there is a, uh, a lady, a Johanna Sigurdsdottir, or some name like that, really difficult to, to pronounce, and she's saying, oh, no, this is dreadful. We have to pay. 
In other words, what they want to have are politicians who are put in their government posts who will always bail out the banks, either because it's national interest or because we don't want to let the, the British and the, and the Dutch lose their money or because they are too big to fail. But what they need always are very disciplined and obedient governments because what Mr. Harde said is, we saved the Icelandic economy and we're doing pretty good now. Look at what happened to Ireland and Greece who decided to know we must honor the debts, we must say bail the banks out, and they are in severe economic and social problems with no end in sight. Yeah, it's pretty obvious because, uh, as I understand it, Iceland has bounced back uh, very well compared to those other countries. Um, well, what, what, what would you do if you're the Prime Minister of Iceland and you say, I either get the Icelandics to bounce back or I save the greedy Dutch and Brits who went to, the, to, to this, these Icelandic banks because they had high interest rates. And those Icelandic banks were private. And being private banks, they were not thinking in terms of Iceland. They were thinking in terms of being part of a global financial banking superstructure that couldn't care less about Britain, about Iceland, about Ireland, Greece or Argentina. Right. It's all the contagion concern, which, is, of course, is what's going on uh, right now in Europe. What are, what are your thoughts about Germany and what's going on? Mrs. Merkel seems to be having a lot of trouble with her and her own party, even. Uh, in fact, uh, I believe uh, she just recently was defeated in some local elections there. Uh, do you think that the German people are finally saying enough already? Well, yeah, because, you see, we, we often are so confused because this is program confusion by reading the international papers and all these international analysts who just give us a lot of numbers that appear on screens gold went up the euro went down uh silver is on the way up the dow jones is crashing or rising or whatever etc that we often forget the commonsensical measures that people take in their personal lives i've spoken to a lot of germans recently about this and they all seem to say in one way or another hey why don't we go back to the good old deutsche mark and let let the euro go wherever it wants to go. Because everybody in a way feels, and this is true, that in the last decade or so, the euro was imposed artificially on the weaker countries to bring them in, like Greece, like Ireland, and, and, and even Spain, Italy, and, and, and look, at, look at where it's stopping them now. And in the stronger countries, definitely in, in Germany, which is the strongest country, let's face it, the euro is just another way of, of, of referring to the Deutschmark, because uh, Germany is the, the economic powerhouse of Europe. They themselves feel, now, why should I, as a German taxpayer, have my tax money pulled out to bail out Greece, who did all their stuff wrong, and then the Greece will come back to you and say, yeah, but wait a minute, okay, maybe we did some things wrong, but we just cannot abide as a Greek economy by the same parameters that powerful Germany can, can, can comply mm -hmm. with. So it's just one big mess where everybody was put into a, 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 a mold that they had to fit into it, and it is also, you know, it's part of the same problem that, that the, this so-called uh, uh, so democratic system has. They have a basic model and then they expect every country to comply. So they have one basic monetary and financial idea and they think that if it fits America and Germany, it's got to fit uh, Greece, Argentina and, and Ireland. And it doesn't work that way. It, that brings to my mind, uh, as a closing remark, what uh, Hillary Clinton said just before she visited uh, Egypt last March. She said, I'm visiting Egypt and to 
Indonesia thing at the time, because I want to make sure that those countries have the sort of democracy that we want to see. So it works just as it works in finance. It also works in politics. America wants, or the Western world, a standardized version of quote-unquote democracy. And if it works in the UK, so they say, but in America, they expect it to work in Egypt and in Iraq. Well, Iraq was an absolute failure. And in Afghanistan, and you cannot impose standardized political, financial, and banking models on countries which have such different cultures, local yeah. realities, and needs. Yeah, no, no doubt about it, Adrian. You know, but of course, uh, the uh, it's not nationalism that these guys are really interested in. It's about maximizing profits and using their power and their connections with uh, with governments to actually just get rid of um, national boundaries. Unfortunately, we're out of time. I can't believe it's uh, our time is up. We've got another minute or so. But um, y- you know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was the new sort of alignment that seems to be taking place. You've got, uh, and they're quickly disappearing. It seems there's revolutions in various North Amer- North African countries. Uh, new government regimes have been uh, have been have come forward recently. And, and I would assume that you're suggesting or, or thinking that a lot of these changes, if not all of them, have been orchestrated by the same means that, uh, uh, that Argentina was, was, uh, had a regime change. Is that right? 30 seconds. Uh, regime change is the name of, a, of the game right now, and they analyze, I think, this global power elite see, well, how do we get regime change in North Africa and in the Middle East? We take their main weakness, which is these long-standing dictators, whether it be Mubarak or, or Assad in Syria or uh, uh, Gaddafi in Libya, and we, we, can, we control it from that side. How do we get regime change in, in Greece or, or in, in, in throughout the European Union? We impose on them debt problems. How do we get regime change in Argentina? We strangle them with debt. And how do we get regime change in, in America? We collapse their dollar, and that's, I think, where America's going. So they have a specific um, plan B, so to speak, for each country. But the final, the final objective is to promote the, the dissolution of national sovereignties as a way to transition towards world government. Well, it's a, uh, it's a sad note to leave it on from my perspective, because I would like to see nations exist as they are with their unique cultures, their unique personalities and languages. And, uh, you know, I, I honestly, uh, I think it's appalling what's going on. I hope people are alarmed and will uh, become active and do what they can. Of course, this show is a lot about uh, doing what we can as individuals to protect our families. And, Adrian, we'll have to have you come back again sometime. I know we've talked about that in general terms in the past. Uh, But coming up next, folks, we are going to be uh, talking to Martin Dallier. He is the president and CEO of Visible Gold Mines. We uh, believe that one thing you have to do if you're going to protect your own financial well-being is to own gold and gold mining shares. Of course, the bigger issue are, you know, governments, because they have the guns and the power, can do pretty much what they want. So I also think, uh, and the reason I'm excited about having people like uh, Bugliosi on the show, uh, people and Ron Paul and other people who are willing uh, to go out and fight the good fight, to fight for ideas that they believe in. They're taking a lot of risk a lot of times to uh, to say things that might really not be what the powers that be and the powers behind the throne want to hear. So I think we, you know, each individual has to decide how much of his own, uh, how much risk he's willing to take politically. Uh, but one thing we all want to make sure we do and start to do as best we are able to within the law is to protect ourselves by investing and clearly, gold and gold mining shares uh, and, and tangible assets have done very well at a time during which the establishment uh, 
is debasing and trashing the currency. Paper money is is definitely being trashed. So uh, we're going to be talking in just a couple of minutes with Martin Dallier. He's going to be right back with us. Thank you again, Adrian, for being with us. Folks, don't go away. We'll be right back in just a minute with Mr. Dallier. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Merrix Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrix and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrix's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Legend Gold Corp. is a gold exploration company with flagship projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our two gold deposits. Shareholder value is anchored at Chikomala by a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold. The recent addition of the Munina project offers the potential for a third gold strike. Legend Gold trades under the symbol LGN on the TSX Venture Exchange. Please go to our website at www. Legendgold.com. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at W www.rypatchgold.com Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters voice america business network the bottom line in business welcome to the human race some kind of Sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love 
you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to have with me for the first time Martin Dallier. Uh, he's the president and CEO of Visible Gold Mines. Visible Gold Mines trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol VGD. 47.5 million shares outstanding, 70.1 million fully diluted, uh, trading at about 37 cents. I guess it probably gives them a market cap of 17 or $18 million, something like that. Welcome, Mr. Dallier, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you very much, Jay. Thank you for having us on, on your program. Really, really good to have you. Uh, this is a, a new name to me. I'm always looking for, for companies uh, that have exciting projects. Uh, tell me why I should be excited in your company. You have two projects that I believe uh, that you're highlighting as your leading two projects. Could you just uh, tell us about those two? Uh, Visible Gold Mine, Jay, has uh, two key projects and value drivers at the moment. Uh, they are named Lucky Break as well as Jutel. The Lucky Break is very exciting because uh, don't, don't, don't you, are you aware, Joe, Jay, what's going on here at the moment in the uh, ABCB Greenstone Belt? Well, I know there's quite a bit of activity, a lot of drilling going on, some good things with Richmond uh, next door to you, I believe, right? Exactly. Uh, Richmond last February just announced a 1.5 million ounces uh, deposit discovery on their Wazamak project, and uh, we do border them uh, on the on the west, east, and south border of their property. So this is very exciting for us at the moment. The Richmond mine has five drill rigs running on their project, and uh, we do have four till the uh, remaining of the year. Uh-huh. So, uh, for me as a as a CEO, it's very exciting because. As you know, the, drill, the drillers are, are, are drilling 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So we never know when we're going to receive a call. Mm-hmm. Are these uh, are the targets there on the Lucky Strike? Are they near surface? Uh, yeah, we're drilling. We're drilling from surface. Uh, the, yeah, usually you don't you don't hit that right at the surface, but yeah, it goes up to the surface. No doubt about it. Uh, first, all we do in the area, we hit a 16 meters wide zone intersection. Mineralized with gold value into it, so um, so you know, we have a lot of targets and a lot of excitement from now to the uh, to the end of the year. You don't have assays back on that drill hole yet, I guess. No, all the assays uh, will will be released in the coming in, in the very near future. But as you know, all the all the lab are are, are backlog. Yeah, right now. Yeah, they yeah they really are. Another question I have for you with respect to the lucky uh, strike uh, is, is that. Um, can you trace the gold-bearing structures? Do you know enough about the the structure uh, from the Richmond property onto yours, or yeah, what do you well know? Yeah, very well detailed. We do have access to a lot of information right now. Uh, we we do have a trail of mineralization right now to follow, and uh, this uh, the, the fact that we do have this information, uh, we did add numerous additional holes. Uh, in in the area, and uh, we just moved lately the drill rigs from the Waza from the Waza Creek property on the west side of the, of the Richmond, mm-hmm. the east side of the Richmond, and we have a, a fairly good uh, drilling program, too, there. Mm-hmm. And uh, your second, uh, I don't know, is there anything else you'd like to tell us? So how, how much drilling are you doing there on Lucky Strike, and how, 
how soon might we receive some assays? You know, we're um, we're very aggressive. Uh, we've raised just before Christmas ten million dollars. Uh-huh. Uh, we're going to drill in 2011 over 40,000 meters of drilling, uh, which I would say half of it will be spread in the Lockerbie project. Um, we do have so far 20,000 meters drilled. Uh, we uh, were in September. We still have 20,000 meters to drill till Christmas. So it means four drill rigs, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So you've drilled 20,000 meters so far and no assays back yet. We just received 6,000 meters of assays right now. It, uh-huh. it was mainly on one of our projects that we see Plan C, which is a Silidor project. Uh-huh. We had gold in every single hole. We did announce it, but we have to go back because we do not uh, understand completely the model, so we have to go back there for three holes to, to finish the, uh, the phase one. Mm. So our focus right now is the Lucky Break, Waza Creek, and Waza, Waza East zone, as well as the, uh, the Jutel property. The drill rig will arrive tomorrow. Yeah, the Jutel is the second property that you named as perhaps the top two, and you have four properties. But but tell us about the Jutel. Uh, Jutel, it's a very interesting story. I was very pleased when Agnico Eagle, a multi-billion-dollar market cap company, in fact the biggest employer in town, uh, when they knocked at our door and, and they knew we had the expertise because this is something I'm very proud of. I built a very strong team uh, in t- technically. You know, we have uh, our senior geologist is Robert Sanfasson. Robert is the guy who did discover the Cisco, uh, the uh, Cisco Malartic, mm-hmm. every 10 million ounces discovery. Uh, today, uh, Cisco did a tr- uh, Rusin and, and Weres did a tremendous job because they move off of the city. But uh, Sanfasson was there while he was working for Barrick or Lac Mineral. And uh, he did discover, but Barrick didn't want to, to move off of the city uh, at that time. Gold, the gold price was not what it is today. So uh, they knew we had Robert in our team, and uh, they knock at our door. They say, guys, we would like to, uh, we would like to reactivate this mining area. Uh, this is where we are born because we have five mines in the area. It's a 25-kilometer <coughs> property east-west. It's very mm-hmm. large, and our goal is not to find a half a million ounces of gold right now. Our goal on this property, on the Jutel property, is to, is to reactivate a mining area. So we're talking about multi-mines there. So uh, on both of these primary uh, properties, the Lucky Strike and the Jutel, are they, are they both uh, bulk mineable targets, or are you looking at high-grade underground vein systems? We're talking between, I would say it's, it's going to be likely, there's only one open pit mine in the Jutel area, mainly all the mines down there are underground. We're talking about 3 to 10 grams uh, underground mines. Mm-hmm. Okay, and all the drilling, uh, all the previous drilling on the Jutel property uh, has been done on a specific model, okay? Uh, they were drilling the stratigraphy. Uh, we're very strong. Robert uh, traveled all over the world uh, uh, talking about structure, gold structure, and uh, all our drilling targets will be focused on the structure of the Jutel ground. You are um, you're quite proud of your management team. Could you just take maybe a minute and name uh, some of the people, yourself included, that are uh, that are involved and what are their backgrounds? Yeah, the, the, why, in fact, you know, I really like Visible Gold Mine, and I would, I would say it's fair, Jay, to state that Visible Gold Mine has a rare dynamic, okay, in the junior exploration space. Uh, this company is very strong in three separate and important areas, which is a powerful mix of geological, 
business and marketing expertise. I would say I will. Uh, uh, the, I'm taking care of the business side. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, Robert he built a strong technical team, and uh, geologically we're very, very, very strong. And mar- we uh, we did add some some key guys in the team that taking care of the uh, marketing. And this is usually the uh, weak link in, in in the junior exploration space, the marketing. And uh, we have uh, some guys on board that is taking care of it perfectly. Yeah, so it's very important. We, uh, we, uh, we, do, we get some traction in the bush right now. We do. We're, we're, we got some. We reach the momentum. Now we just need to get some traction in, in the market. But there's no doubt that marketing is very important because you have to raise capital. You have to let people know about your company and your story. And of course, that's why you're uh, you're a sponsor. It's going to help people uh, know about your company. Is the goal of um, is the goal of uh, your company to become a producer, or you see yourselves as an exploration company exclusively? This is exactly the first question that Agni Eagle asked us when they knocked at our door mm-hmm. a month ago. Okay, do you want to be producer, guy? I know you are good. You're very good in exploration, but you want to be producer. The answer is, is no. We don't want to be producer. We're very good at exploration, and. Uh, I truly believe that our chances to find a mine is very, very good. Uh, and we have many good gold producers. We have the world's largest gold producer here. We have mills everywhere. So I think they're going to take care of this part. Our job is to find the mine, and they're going to take care of the rest. Yeah, that's, that's probably a smart, uh, uh, smart policy because there's many a small junior gold mining companies that have broken their pick on trying to uh, become producers, and it's it's a completely different game, and uh, better to stick with your knitting, as they say. Yeah, and what, our, um, our geological team, uh, Jay, is so strong. Robert has a, a batting average that would have made the Thai Cobb proud uh, green with, with envy, okay? Uh, because, you know, as you know, uh, each single drill hole that they're, they're planning, they, they do count if they eat or they don't eat, and uh, Robert has a very good average at the bat. Well, that's um, uh, obviously uh, the, the, the lifeblood of a company like yours is the, um, uh, the drill results, and we'll be looking with 20,000 meters and lots, 20,000 more to be drilled, lots of drill results coming out, certainly. Uh, we, you know, we were talking, uh, Chen Lin and I, in the first segment of today's show, uh, I think it was Don Cox that's come out and talked about how bullish he is on gold mining. And we see that major mining companies now producing very, very strong profits. And those guys are going to be looking for uh, gold deposits to replenish their resources. And the big guys, like the Agnagle Eagles and those, are not the best. They're not as good as a lot of the better junior mining companies at finding the stuff in the ground. Uh, you have two more properties that you didn't tell us about. Just, just spend a couple of minutes, perhaps. We've got, uh, oh, I see we've only got another minute. But take, take a minute or two if you need to. Uh, tell us about the two other properties that, that you have that are, that are good properties. Yeah, just here, just two kilometers from the former biggest mine in Canada, the, the owned by Narenda, the Narenda Mine, we do have our Stadacona East property. Uh, this property used to be called the Stadacona. Uh, it has been divided uh, in two over time, and I've, I, I've never, I, I've never, I, I don't know what is the reason why this property has been divided, but the, 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 the west part of the property has already been extracted by a producer, it, it has produced over 500,000 ounces of gold. We do have the unextract, unexplored, uh, unextract 
uh, side of the property. So we drilled uh, 55,000 meters over the past three years. Uh, we did road to 42,101. We do have so far 165,000 ounces of gold proven, and uh, we do plan to go back there in the coming months uh, in this quarter, uh, fourth quarter of 2011, uh, do some couple of drill holes to increase the, um, the, the amount of gold, the resources. Mm-hmm. property. Uh, it's right in the, the, it's very accessible. You know, we're talking about Narando here. We have mills, we have power line, we have road, we have easy access, we have uh, resources, human resources. So it's very cheap to drill in this area compared to when you go in the remote areas. So uh, we have the expertise, we have everything, and our chances are very good with that kind of budget, you know. You know because we're going to drill, we have a $6.5 million budget for 2011, and $4 million out of 6.5 will be mainly for drilling. So uh, mm-hmm. something's going to happen out of this. What you, you mentioned that uh, you do have fully diluted some $70 million, uh, 70 million shares, 71, I believe. Would that bring in a fair amount of money? And that's one question. The next question, and we really are out of time, the next question is do you foresee the need to go back and raise more capital anytime soon? We do have 15 million. Uh, we do have 15 million warrants at 45 cents, uh, with expiration date in October 2012. Uh-huh. Uh, our next target is to get those those, exor- those warrant exercised. It will bring an extra seven million dollars in the bank. Plus, don't forget, Jay, we're in Quebec, so we do have a 30 percent exemption credit. Right. Give us an extra three million dollars for next year. Yeah, that, that's that's a very good point. And Quebec is probably the most or one of the top three or four top jurisdictions to operate as a mining company. I want to thank you so much for being with us. We are out of time. Regrettably, there would be so much more to talk to you about. We'll have to have you back again sometime. Thank you very much uh, for, for coming on and talking to us about Visible Gold. Folks, don't go away. Roger Wiegand is going to be back with me for today's wrap-up. Uh, we're going to talk to Roger about the markets and his views on gold. Gold is topping $1,900 again, so don't go away. We're going to be right back with Roger Wiegand. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. 
Merrick's Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrick's and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrick's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold Deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Romeo's Gold offers unprecedented opportunities in the final frontier of British Columbia's Golden Triangle, a copper gold rich region with improving infrastructure. Romeo's properties are located in the vicinity of multi billion dollar deposits. With its $6 million plus drilling program underway, Romeo's Gold is focused on developing world class mineral resources in a major upcoming mining district. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www www.rypatchgold.com Welcome to the human race Some kind of love and ride I'll be sliding down I'll be gliding down Try not to try too hard It's just a love and ride You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back uh, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, my engineer is telling me we've only got three minutes. Roger Wiegand is with me. Roger, you think that gold is going to go up? Uh, you think it's ready for a big pop? Yes, how it high is, is it going to go? We've Why got... is it going to go? And how soon is it going to go? Well, uh, we've, we've already done waves one and two uh, yesterday and today, and those waves are larger than I have ever seen them before as far as their length. Uh, when that happens, things really tend to take off. Our timing is correct for the fall run. Um, I'm looking right now. We touched 1923 today in gold for December, and it's about uh, close to that right now at about 1885. It opened and closed there earlier today. So we didn't back up at all. We just went higher. I'm looking for this next wave three to come up a, a large amount based on the two big waves I've seen already. And if indeed this happens, it wouldn't surprise me if we wouldn't go all the way to uh, 1985, maybe even touch 2000 this week or next week, and then back up. Uh, 1985 support and resistance is our next objective. I think it's going to be sooner rather than later. And you think that could happen uh, as early as this week? As early as this week, week and perhaps uh, into <laughs> next week. Uh, one of the overriding factors this month, of course, is the German parliament vote on the 29th of September as to whether or not uh, they're going to uh, approve the bailout money for the neighboring countries. As it looks now, it's going to be a no vote. Uh, Mrs. Merkel, the prime minister, got six 
negative election votes, uh, local provincial votes. She even lost her own district. Uh, everything is going against this because the German people are sick and tired of being the paymaster for the rest of Europe. Okay, so let's suppose that they do not continue to contribute. The Germans don't continue to bail out the rest of Europe. Uh, I guess then the euro gets tanked and then gold goes to the moon or what? I would say that's true because uh, the other thing that's happened, and not many have noticed, uh, the Swiss franc put a cap on their on their uh, their currency. It had touched all the way to 140. It's all the way back to 116 today. I've never seen a drop in a currency like that before. It dropped between 8 and 9 points today when the Swiss said they're not going to let it go any higher than 120. It's 116 right now. So that's a dramatic drop. That was the go-to currency for safety and security. Now they're saying they're going to go to Sweden and Norway to those currencies for safety and security. And uh, it's just getting really tangled up. Well, it's it's very interesting. Unfortunately, we are out of time, Roger. I think they may also go to the U.S. dollar, and that's pretty pathetic, too, because at the same time there is more and more talk about a QE3 and continuing debasement of, uh, of the dollar. And I guess that's why, really, gold is benefiting so fantastically. Well, that's all the time we've got. I do want to tell our listeners next week we're going to have John Merrick. Uh, he knows as much as anyone alive about the Federal Reserve's balance sheet. We're going to talk to John about to try to get some hints as to which way the Fed is really going. You know, they can say one thing and do something else. Usually that's the case. So we'll look to John Merrick to help us there. And also joining us again next week will be Richard Mayberry. He knows as much as anyone else about what's happening geopolitically around the world. And he has been a stellar uh, analyst in, in picking the right kind of things for his readers to be in for many years uh, in the past, and we will, you're not going to want to miss either of these guys. In closing, I want to thank Casey Trump, my senior executive uh, producer, and also Justin Jackman, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening, and once again, until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing about time is that time is